This episode of Future You is brought to you by Deloitte's Center for Higher Education Excellence, producing groundbreaking research to help colleges and universities navigate the challenges they face and reimagine how they achieve excellence. This is Future You with Jeff Salingo and Michael Horn. Welcome to Future You. I'm Jeff Salingo in Washington, D.C., joined by my co-host, Michael Horn, who's in Boston via Zoom. The news, as it has been for the past several weeks, has been dominated by the COVID-19 pandemic. As campuses have shuttered their physical doors over the past couple of weeks and moved to remote learning, and the American economy has plunged into the beginning of what looks like to be a major recession, with jobless claims of nearly 3.3 million last week, there are major questions about the fiscal challenges facing colleges and universities. Today with us, we have Scott Friedman and Tim Hurley, both principals at Deloitte, joining us to talk about what this current crisis means for higher education finances. Scott has worked with about 150 institutions over the last 14 years. Meanwhile, Tim has worked as an advisor from both an audit and management consulting perspective, and his primary focus is on bankruptcy and restructuring services. Scott and Tim, thanks for joining us. And and first of all, I hope you and yours are doing as well as can be expected um, in this crisis. Scott, I'm going to start with you. This is probably the the biggest global and national challenge or crisis that many of us have faced in our lifetimes. And for college leaders, it's probably their biggest challenge right now. What's the one piece of advice you would give to college leaders right now as they try to manage through this crisis? I guess the most critical piece of advice that I would give is the necessity of communicating and doing so with honesty and empathy. Uh, As you indicated, these are uncertain times and all signs point to that uncertainty, frankly, continuing. Uh, Students, faculty, staff are all concerned, not only about the institution, but also their individual health, safety, and financial security. Difficult decisions have already been made by institutions, and it's quite likely that even more difficult decisions will have to be made going forward. Um, Being open and honest about what is known, what is unknown, the decisions that you're making to give effect to and preserve your institution's mission and the rationale for those decisions is the only way to preserve integrity and give stakeholders a sense that you're being thoughtful and responsive to the evolving situation. So that makes a lot of sense uh, from the leader's perspective, communicating to stakeholders, uh, turning to the institutional health uh, of colleges and universities and they're obviously facing cash flow constraints right now. It might be the first financial hardship that, that comes up and emerges. From, your, from both of your perspectives, uh, and, and Tim, let's start with you. What should institutions be doing now to respond proactively to the challenges that they're facing? Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, I think given the, the rapid decline in revenue and, and a spike in, in one-time costs, it's putting a, a huge pressure on, on their cash flow. So what we would recommend is that schools create, uh, consider creating a cash flow tool that would allow them to really understand the drivers, both positive and negative, uh, uh, on their actual cash flow uh, position. This, this tool would come from the CFO or the chief business office, but the resulting numbers from that will require management to create a, a plan to respond to the, to the situation. And, and pulling the right people together to build that plan, there really should be involved the administration, the board, and the faculty. Because you need to put the plan, but then all those key stakeholders need to be invested in, in, in carrying out and executing a successful plan. Sorry, Scott, do you have anything to add on to that or else we'll just move on to the next question? 
Um, I, I think I, I would agree with everything that Tim said. I would also suggest that, you know, sort of thinking about various scenarios is also going to be important. Um, it, you know, we, as, as I said before, we don't know exactly how the situation is going to unfold. And so having different sort of different assumptions built into sort of forward-looking cash flow models will be important as you sort of evaluate the situation. So, Tim, how would you advise an institution then on the financial indicators that they need to monitor uh, right at this time to kind of understand what their short-term um, cash positions are, right? Can you help us understand, you know, what are the inputs to forming some visibility into, into their cash flow? So, uh, keeping it very simple, this is not uh, an accounting exercise per se. This is all about cash. And in a crisis, cash is king. So, you're starting with your initial cash balance. And then you're going to create a weekly forecast of, of expenses and receipts. And each week, you're just going to do a rolling uh, cash forecast where you've got your whatever cash you have for the beginning of the week. You're subtracting out your expenses, adding back in any revenues. And then you're going to determine whether you have any shortfalls that need to be addressed. Now, um, that tool needs to be updated on an ongoing basis. Forecasting is never perfect, right? So you're developing a plan. And the next week you go through and, and some expenses came through that you didn't expect or revenue did not come through that you, that you were expecting. So you're always kind of adjusting and learning more about the, the, the vital you know, lifeblood of the organization in terms of cash. And then you're going to adjust your, your cash flow from there. I would also recommend as part of this, you know, that you have built in various scenarios. And that's really in the, in the outer part know what the future is going to be like. We've already talked about different uh, amount, you know, the amount of uncertainty out there. So you've got to build a flexible plan that can respond to those things. The cash flow itself should really go out at least initially 13 weeks. So you know if you've got a problem from the get-go. And then from there, stretching it out to September or so, uh, because that's the next time you're, you're going to have a large influx, hopefully, of, of cash coming into the schools. And what are um, the what, and what are get, the indicators then that you should be looking for? I mean, uh, are, are what what are those indicators over thirteen weeks or September uh, that should be you know that could raise red flags? For example, what are what are some of the things that you're looking for in that moment? Well, you're really looking for uh, cash shortfalls, right? Because you've gotten your auxiliary revenue that's gotten dramatically declined. You know, you're not collecting on on parking lots and. Uh, cafeterias and uh, and other auxiliary revenues. So when you're looking at the 13 weeks, if you're seeing where you're running low on cash, then you've got to put together a plan to go go forward and address that. You know, if you have capital projects that you can push off, you want to push those off. I would like to say this is not all the downside. I want to put a little bit of a positive spin on this. This is an opportunity here for schools to actually add revenue uh, to their budget. Uh, If you look at what's happening in SUNY and they are offering uh, their dorms to be uh, utilized as as temporary uh, hospitals, uh, SUNY would would be inber- reimbursed for that. I also know of schools looking uh, to house healthcare professionals who are you know in there fighting uh, on the front line, but yet they don't want to go home to potentially infect family members. So schools are are um, are opening their doors and uh, and also creating a revenue opportunity for themselves to utilize those those assets that are now really not being used. Yeah, that's that's extremely helpful. And, and it starts to go actually, I think, where we want to go next on this, which is to say, uh, you, you know, you started talking about ways you can actually bring in revenue during this crisis and start to uh, change maybe uh, what the inputs right into that forecast and, and how it will roll out over the next many weeks and so forth. One of the uh, factors that colleges can obviously potentially manipulate is 
changing what is owed from a debt obligation perspective. From your perspective and, and, and advice to, to leaders, how should colleges be engaging their lenders in this current situation? Uh, so uh, prepare, prepare, prepare. So obviously people know the sector is, is under extreme stress, uh, but proactively reach out to the bank. And when you do that with an ask for an extension of, of credit, come with a plan. It doesn't have to be a detailed plan at this point in time, but show that you're thinking your way through it. Uh, make, them sure, make sure that they're aware that there's an ask that is coming. Uh, in fact, I spoke to a lender last night and, and they are extending credit, uh, but for anything that is out of the, the normal request, they're certainly looking to make sure that there's a plan. The other option, in addition to just reaching out to your lender, is uh, keep an eye on the legislation that's coming out from DC. Uh, one of the pieces that has been uh, approved is the SBA, so the Small Business Administration. So in there, they're allowing for what it appears to be uh, allowing for uh, higher ed. So smaller schools may qualify for loans, where before this, they may not. So that's an avenue for someone uh, to, to consider as well. So, Tim, um, for those institutions that have endowments that haven't been adversely affected or where they have some liquidity, you know, should institutions think about drawing down their endowment um, or should they think about uh, adding to their debt given current interest rates or is it, is it a combination of both? It seems like the situation is so fast moving uh, that these decisions could change by, by the day. But what's the overall strategy between debt and endowment? I think it's really a case specific, but I would say on the endowment side, you know, for schools that are already stressed, have already maxed out what they could take uh, for the year. I, I am, you know, the other the other way to to go at that is looking at the restricted portion, reaching out to uh, potentially donors who who made those donations, and see if, given the the, the nature of the uh, the crisis that we're going through, if they would unrestrict their gift and allow it to be moved over into the the operational budget. And that getting the permission to do so and, and, and helping out the school in, in an urgent time of need is, is, is certainly an avenue. The other unique idea that I've heard floating around is a collection of universities have uh, actually gone to the attorney general and have requested a one-time waiver uh, for the school to take a, a loan virtually against themselves with a, a promise to pay back in, in X years. So it'd be an interest-free loan. The terms can change, but interest-free loan borrow from their endowment, paying it back over the next next years. Um, it's similar to the way if someone were to be laid off that they could loan again, take a, a loan against their 401k, if you will. So that's something that I have also heard that uh, is being considered uh, at, at various states. I'd add one thing here, and that is that, you know, the market has obviously gone down significantly over the past several weeks. And so the the corpus of these endowments in, in many cases may have fallen pretty significantly. So I think being thoughtful about, um, you know, drawing down endowment, not in the loan situation that Tim just described, but actually drawing down the corpus may have a slightly more outsized impact than, than were you to do that when the endowment is greater. So I just think that that should be part of the calculus. That's a good point, uh, Scott. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Uh, the, the other piece of this is, is we didn't address debt. Certainly the rates are, are, are uh, excellent right now for those that are, uh, are strong credits, and, that, and that, that should be evaluated. Uh, this could be you know, an opportunity for someone to take advantage of, of their financial health. So you, you both have talked now about some creative ways to both impact a variety, you know, cash out as well as cash in uh, for these organizations. Obviously, one of the big things is 
you know, given no one knows how this crisis will unfold in the coming weeks and months, a, a significant question is, you know, what will students and families actually be able to pay and will they even show up in the fall? Already we're seeing surveys that suggest a significant minority of students are actually rethinking their college plans for the fall. From your perspective, how should institutions start to plan for their uh, from a tuition revenue perspective and financial aid budgets uh, for the fall and next year? You know, even before the crisis, obviously, some colleges were missing their enrollment goals or having to do significant discounts of their tuition, uh, even to make a class full. It seems this crisis will exacerbate that. How would you plan in that situation? We have to assume that um, students' estimated family contributions are going to differ markedly from where they were even a month ago, and that's presumably going to be downward. On, on top of that, the traditional models that forecast melt for admitted students and retention for returning students are frankly not going to be terribly predictive in this cycle, and frankly probably in the next few cycles as well. Uh, as a result, schools are gonna need to repackage financial aid for incoming and returning students, and will have to very, very carefully watch their deposits and registrations for fall of 2020, uh, and frankly be able to uh, alter their aid strategies on the fly. Um, schools might want to start to think about analyzing the impact of offering incoming students more flexible scheduling, staggered starts, or even reduced course load requirements to ease the transition to university for those who either want to spend more time with their families or who frankly need to work because of the economic conditions. Uh, to answer your, the last part of your question, I mean, the honest answer is yes, uh, this will probably exacerbate the situation for schools that were already missing their enrollment targets. Um, and those schools should really be thinking critically about what they can do to reduce costs uh, in scenarios that assume various reductions in enrollments and concomitant increases in discount rates. Quick, quick question from a scenario planning perspective on this. Does modeling out from what happened during the Great Recession, is, is that a helpful analog? Like what, what are your points uh, as you're thinking about the sensitivity analysis and new models that schools ought to be going to? What's their reference point or, or is there none? I mean, I think that's a that's probably one of the most reasonable reference points. Um, I was actually talking about it with a colleague earlier this morning about what is the appropriate analog? What is the appropriate proxy? Um, I think just the suddenness of this um, and the, the sort of the precipitous decline over a, you know, short but, you know, multi-day or multi-week period of time sort of created this sort of em emergent and exigent circumstance. So I think, yes, using the 2008 recession uh, as a um, you know, as an analog, as a proxy to, to, to analyze what various scenarios are is reasonable, but I would maybe even take that and go beyond that too and say that maybe there's even a more aggressive, if you will, um, scenario that you want to model out um, just so you have a sort of a, a reasonable sense of the range of possibilities. Scott and Tim, I, I want to end on a somewhat more positive uh, uh, note as we kind of look forward uh, uh, in the next couple of months and in the next couple of years, it's clear we're probably going to enter a, a recession if we're not already in one and maybe even a pretty deep one. Um, now, higher ed tends to see a rise in enrollment actually during economic downtimes. It's, it's the interesting thing about higher ed, it's always been counter cyclical in that way. Do you see this downturn kind of playing out like the last ones when it comes to enrollment where we've seen these upticks in enrollment? 
um, you know, which schools might might benefit uh, in this situation, which schools might actually lose out um, in this in this situation. And for those that uh, might see an uptick uh, in their enrollment, you know, what can they do to potentially prepare for that increase in in demand? Because we were just talking about kind of cash flow here. We were kind of talking about risk. Uh, we weren't talking about in some places, it might actually be growth uh, that they have to prepare for. Um, and what do they have to do to get ready for that? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, I don't have any reason to counter that conventional wisdom that higher ed enrollment is inversely correlated with the economy. Uh, but growing enrollments during a recession, especially one that came about so suddenly, is potentially a double-edged sword. Enrollments might rise, but simultaneously net tuition revenue may stagnate or even drop because of uh, estimated family contributions and student and parents' ability to pay. That's going to put increased pressure on institutions that experience a rise in enrollment to effectively serve their students with the same or potentially fewer resources. Um, I haven't completely digested the CARES Act that was passed this morning, um, but it does appear to allocate money directly to institutions, I think to the tune of, you know, between 12 and a half and $13 billion in total. Um, there is a skew towards institutions with larger Pell eligible face-to-face -face populations. Um, and that money sort of covers both costs incurred as a result of COVID-19 and also provides direct uh, or has institution provide direct financial aid to students. Um, my hope is that this will bolster institutions. Um, with that in mind, the institutions who are most likely going to be challenged in this circumstance is those that are A, heavily tuition dependent, B, have smaller endowments based on the rationale that we talked about previously, and C, have lower percentages of Pell eligible students because they're going to be the ones most sort of crunched and then also not have the same level of access to funds provided by the CARES Act. Um, the schools that are going to benefit uh, really need to be thinking now about how they can ultimately scale up their student services. That's going to be a critical need if you have more students in an environment with, you know, not significantly more revenue. You've got to be able to, to, to effectively serve those students to maintain retention, graduation, and ultimately student outcomes. Thanks, Scott and Tim, for joining us during these challenging times and, and shedding some real important light on what I think for many students and institutions is going to be an uncertain and highly fluid uh, fiscal future. Michael and I will be right back on Future You. This episode is brought to you by Deloitte Center for Higher Education Excellence, producing groundbreaking research to help colleges and universities navigate the challenges they face and reimagine how they achieve excellence in every aspect of the academy, teaching, learning, and research. Through forums and immersive lab sessions, the center engages the higher education community collaboratively on a transformative journey exploring critical topics, overcoming constraints, and expanding the limits of the art of the possible. Welcome back to Future You, coming off a sobering but important conversation with Scott Friedman and Tim Hurley from Deloitte. I uh, appreciate them being there. Jeff, just to transition a little bit, you, you covered higher ed during the last downturn of uh, the Great Recession. As you reflect on the advice and, and tips we heard from Scott and Tim on the importance of managing cash and what's likely to come and some of the steps that schools can take to both bring in revenue, delay payments, and so forth, what strikes you as being different uh, this go-round from, from, from the last uh, uh, recession? 
So I think there's uh, two key things that are, are different. First of all, what's different for all of us is how quickly this came about. Uh, you know, even in, in 2007, eight, you know, there were signs of a, of a slowdown in the housing market, which were, was particularly hard on colleges and universities, because at that time, parents in particular were, and students in general were using kind of the cash from their homes and the increasing values of their homes to pay for, for rising tuitions. You know, we kind of saw the signs of that happening. And then, of course, in the fall of 2008, it all came crashing down. Um, but I think that colleges were able to slightly better prepare uh, for that uh, compared to now, where it's just obviously for all of us has fallen off a, a cliff. The second, and maybe this is more critical, is that I think the underpinnings of higher education, the financial underpinnings of higher education were just stronger back then they, than they are now, uh, right? We were, we were kind of in the middle of the millennial generation uh, among traditional college-age students then. Uh, enrollments were, were high even among adults and master's students uh, at that time. So the enrollment um, and the amount of tuition discounting going on at that time was just less uh, because uh, net tuition was high because we had so many students in the system. As we all know, and as we've been talking for the last couple of years, even here on Future U, you know, the financial underpinning of, of higher education hasn't been great the last couple of years. Many schools were missing, already missing their enrollment targets. They were discounting tuition. We saw enrollments in, in, in master's programs falling and professional programs falling. Schools were closing their face-to-face -face MBA programs. I mean, all around uh, there were issues, and now this has happened on top of it. That's a big difference to me um, from 2008. Well, so that actually segues, I think, Jeff, nicely into the, the other thing that I've been curious about, because, you know, you just alluded to the fact that you've been extremely worried about colleges' financial viability before all this happened. And indeed, you're reporting recently on gapping for the New York Times, uh, sort of revealed this, this stark gap between what financial aid students actually need and what colleges are, in fact, giving them and what that suggested about colleges' revenue position. And now, all of a sudden, you know, something that feels different from my perspective is, where this is literally unfolding in the period when students are committing to schools, they're hearing from schools, and students would be hearing about their financial aid awards, making plans around that. But with both household finances and college finances so up in the air, how fluid are those awards from your perspective? Uh, and you know, how will financial aid packages and filling out a class and so forth, uh, you know, really helping students afford the school, but also making sure that schools put together a class that results in a sustainable bottom line. How's that going to all work in the coming weeks and months? Fantastic question. And, and I think it's just going to be fluid right up to the last possible moment, because the other piece that you didn't add in there is that I think a lot of students don't know if they are going to go to a college that's going to be face to face in the fall. Right. And I think there's a lot of students that are wondering, like, do I really want to go to X institution? online or remotely. And, and so I think they're going to be making a lot of their decisions uh, at the last possible moment until that's uh, a clear. I think institutions are going to probably spend more than they thought on financial aid, but they're not going to overspend. Um, they're going to probably put their money and their dollars to the students they think are going to succeed. In other words, the students that they think they can retain and the students that they think they can graduate. I think we're going to start to kind of see them slice off a, a portion of the class that is either too expensive for them, uh, which is unfortunate because I think we've been doing a really good job with access uh, for low-income students in particular. And I think they're also going to look at the, the, the success measures uh, of students and to see which ones that they want to enroll. So I think they're going to be more willing in the end to kind of come in under, but not discount tuition so that they could maintain some sort of, of, of tuition uh, revenue 
than than rather discount uh, too much and, and and fill their beds. Yeah, and frankly, I guess that would boost predictability to to a certain degree because as as you know, Scott and Tim pointed out, uh, making sure you also serve your current students and that they graduate, that they get to the finish line is going to be important. In this, which I guess leads me to my last question, which is. Uh, you know, we've talked about how uh, Moody's swiftly downgraded the outlook for colleges to negative in the wake of this uh, crisis unfolding. Robert Zemsky, the author of the College Stress Test, uh, came out in the Chronicle uh, last week and said uh, that his current view is that uh, 20% of schools are in deep trouble, not just the 10% that he forecast, uh, he and his co-authors forecast in the book. You've been uh, more optimistic, I think it's safe to say, than me about uh, school closure rates. Um, but what's your own view of the landscape of closures and, and, and maybe not even just closures, but you know, declarations of uh, financial exigency, which is the higher ed's equivalency of effectively of bankruptcy? What's your sense of what we're likely to see uh, from this? I, you know, I, we probably will see a slight uptick in the closures than we would have seen, or at least ones that were going to be sooner than, you know, five years from now or 10 years out. I, I don't think we're going to see a ton of them because I think that there will be uh, a lot of federal money. Uh, you know, both uh, Tim and Scott mentioned uh, the CARES Act uh, that passed the Senate going to the House for the president's signature. I think that's only going to be the first of one of many bills that are going to come out of Washington. Uh, higher ed did fairly well um, in that. Um, and I think, again, I think you're going to see more money. Uh, the question I have is whether uh, the states uh, will get more money that then they will plow into their public and in some cases private universities. You know, we've talked so many times on the show about the economic impact that colleges and universities have in many of their small towns given everything else kind of going out of business in some of these places, or at least boarded up for quite some time, I don't think people are going to want their college to also go out of business. Um, so I think that we're going to see a lot of propping up of the sector, both at the federal level and at the, at the state level. So Michael, you've been, um, you know, not as optimistic uh, on this front as, as I am. What do you, how do you think this kind of changes the dynamic in terms of, uh, in terms of closures and in particularly even more in terms of mergers now, because there may be some partners that might've worked a couple of months ago that may not work as well. In this yeah, case. I think, you know, I think it'll actually soften the mergers to your point, Jeff. Uh, but I actually, I mean, I do think that there will be an uptick in closures. We've already seen two uh, casualties uh, pretty, pretty quickly where they haven't said that they're closing, but that they're not going to be accepting new students uh, for the fall. Uh, the San Francisco Institute of Art and Notre Dame de Namur, hardly rural schools uh, in, in both cases. Uh, although small uh, in, in, in both cases and, and, and specialized, you know, with religious focus and, and, and art focus, which of course are squarely in the zone of, of challenged schools. But I, I think we will see some softness. While you're right that the federal money will backstop some of this, uh, it's not clear to me that it will be enough or fast enough in certain cases. Uh, so I think we'll see some softness, some acceleration of closures. I thought it was interesting that Central Washington declared financial exigency so quickly. And I would expect that we'll see a few other regional comprehensive publics to do so as well. I don't think we'll be seeing flagships or anything like that. Sort of that, that, that state comprehensive university level, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a few of those declare financial exigency. And then It'll really depend, obviously, you know, if we see some consolidation in the state systems. I think that depends on what states do to uh, shore up col college finances. I think you're right. That's going to be a no one's wish list uh, to see coming forward, Jeff. Yeah, and Michael, I, there's just so many subjects that we're going to have to dive into in the next couple of weeks 
on this, uh, or actually next couple of months, probably, and even into next season of, of Future You. And in fact, we've said on a recent episode that we were actually going to take a uh, a little bit of a hiatus. And clearly we're not because this crisis is unfolding we are by not. the hour by the we day. So we are going to be back um, and doing many episodes uh, in the coming weeks uh, on this crisis in, in particular going into what might be a summer hiatus, but maybe if we're stuck in our homes, uh, we might just keep going through the summer. We haven't we haven't decided that yet, but that, that's a wrap on on this particular uh, episode. Thanks uh, so much uh, for joining us, and, and particularly to Scott and Tim at Deloitte for talking about the financial challenges facing colleges and universities. We're going to be back with more episodes on this uh, unfolding crisis and its impact on the future of higher education. And in the meantime, be safe and stay strong. Hey folks, Michael Horn here. Hope you enjoyed the latest episode of Future You. And just a reminder to please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like the podcast, rate us so that others can find us and uh, find out about the good conversations that we're having here. As always, thanks so much for listening.